0: Welcome to the Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schipper and today I'm with Stephen Stanley. So, Stephen, good to have you.
1: Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: So today we're going to be talking about uh, being created in the image of God and gender roles in Scripture, uh, but specifically as those kind of things relate to LGBTQ plus issues. And um, as we begin, I just want to share a quick story Uh, I I heard somebody a while back who claimed to be a Hebrew language scholar who I am honestly uh, not sure that the person was a Hebrew language scholar, at least not a very good one. Uh, But the person said, you know, in Genesis chapter one, it says God created man and woman in his image, you know, male and female in his image. And um, what the person said was uh, male and female in Genesis chapter one Uh, are outliers, and it includes not only those, but everything in Mm -hmm. between, which of course would have been a completely foreign concept to Moses as he wrote the book of Genesis, uh, but also would have been a foreign concept in general in the ancient world, Uh, and it just seemed like a very big reinterpretation of not only, you know, these two words and what they mean, male and female, but also um, how to read them in that, in that particular passage. So it was also sort of a reinterpretation of the entire way of understanding Hebrew grammar. Uh, but, uh, you know, as we begin, um, you know, there's more to it than just saying, okay, look, God created male and female and everything in the middle. Uh, there, there's just, it's a lot more detailed than that. And so, you know, as we begin, Steve, what are some of your thoughts that come to mind when you first think of what it means to be created in God's image?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's a great, great point that you made. I think, um, you know, especially nowadays, um, people are seeing so much on the internet and memes and this and that. I, I think it's just so important that we go back to the original context to really understand you know what these uh, what the original authors were saying and 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 what the original audience would have been understanding so when we talk about the the image of God the Imago day I think kind of like what you were saying you know Moses would not have been he would he wouldn't have had he would have had no, no social concept of a gender fluidity right that wasn't something that he would have understood um and I think you know what one of the things, you know, I guess what I'm saying is having a good hermeneutic is, is just such an important piece of really any discussion of theology, but, but specifically the image of God, um, concept, right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, th- there is, I think, benefit in looking at what does you know, Adam and Eve mean in the Greek or in, in the Hebrew, right. Adam means humanity and, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but what Eve yeah. means. Um,
0: Eve means essentially life or living. Right. Uh, it's yeah. the idea of she's the mother of all the living. Uh, and Adam, which means man, also means from the ground. You know, it's this idea right. that Adam was taken from the ground, created from the ground, and that Eve, created out of, out of Adam's side, became the mother of, mm-hmm. you know, all, all the living.
1: And I think that's beneficial for us to, to recognize the kind of the nature of humanity in general. Right. Um, but I I'm not sure it's a good, uh, it's a good way for us to try to ground our understanding of, of gender identity. Um, you know, I I think immediately people try to start uh, uh, when they're reading the Bible, they start in application. So they read the Bible and they start to try to apply it immediately to a modern context. And I think mm-hmm. that's just such a, uh, it, it can really hurt how you're understanding the Bible. So I think first we have to really understand what was the original author trying to say and, um, you know, what did the original audience understand from that? So I think it would be, uh, probably not beneficial to, to try to extrapolate, um, some sort of gender fluidity from that, from that discussion.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think my other sort of big concern there is it's assuming that the being made in God's image, um, is a physical thing, not mm -hmm. a, a non-physical thing, if you will. Uh, so I would argue that men and women are equally created in God's image. Mm -hmm. And it's not, uh, that, you know, Adam is more created in God's image because, you know, Jesus was a man or whatever, you know, uh, but rather that, um, humans, regardless of whether they're male or female, exude or, you know, have God's image in them because, uh, we are made to be like God and we are like God when we are just, we are like God and we are compassionate. We're like God and we're creative. We're like God when we, um, Have proper dominion or authority over things underneath us. We are like God when we desire order instead of chaos. You know, all these different things make us like God. Um, You know, we could even be like God when we're jealous, but oftentimes the way we're jealous isn't the way God is jealous. And as such, um, we reflect sort of a brokenness of of that aspect of God in us. And the same is true with compassion. You know, sometimes. Uh, We're compassionate the way that God would be compassionate. Uh, Sometimes though, our compassions uh, or the things we're compassionate about are misguided. And as such, we're not reflecting God's image properly because our compassion is misplaced or um, shown improperly.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Recognizing that we are created in God's image. And so the things that we do... um, are essentially things that he does, but our sinful bent, um, oftentimes we are doing the things he does, but, but in incorrectly. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I think um, the imago day, right. The image of God, um, we are created in his image, but a lot of times people want to think of that as God in his physical image. But um, yeah, I think characteristics got, you know, is, is such an important piece of that puzzle right so god is a creator and we are created as creators right so we create in a similar fashion as how god creates um we love in a similar fashion of how god loves um and then the whole concept as a christian would be how can i try to realign myself to be more godly in my attributes of him than um yeah, than following the sin yeah. of this world. Yeah,
0: the best way to reflect God's image in ourselves is to know who God is, mm-hmm. and we learn about who God is from what He reveals about Himself in the Bible. And uh, so, you know, I argue that everything in the Bible is true. I argue that everything in the Bible is um, theologically accurate, and as such, you know, um, we we take what. Principles, theological principles, we learn from scripture and then apply those to our life and how yeah. we live. Uh, so, so the first question, of course, you know, is you know, the image of God. You know, is everyone created in God's image? The answer is yeah. yes. Correct. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what your, um, you know, sinful inclinations are. You're still uh, created in God's image, and it doesn't matter what faults you have. You're created in God's image, and it doesn't matter if you have mental disabilities. Or if you have physical handicaps, you're still created in God's image, and so um, there's more to it than just you know oh you're you know you're a human so you physically you're like God no 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 it's 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 more than that but that gets us into this idea of gender roles in the Bible and Mm -hmm. uh, you know throughout Scripture we see a number of uh, gender role type things Um, I think part of it's because the Bible's written from a specific perspective from a specific context, and there were gender roles in the ancient world, uh, just like there are gender roles today. Uh, You know, I think about, um, you know, when you go to the store, sometimes some stores now don't do this, but a lot of stores still divide the toy section between boys' toys and girls' toys. Uh, Some of them also divide it sort of between age-appropriate toys, so you have your you know, two and three-year-old toys in one one aisle. And then you have your, you know, toys for kids like four to seven in another aisle or whatever. But typically you find these these toys that are designed for people of a specific gender. Uh, that being said, there's nothing wrong with a girl playing with a boy toy or a boy playing with a girl's toy. Um, uh, but there's these sort of inherent social constructs that people go, no, this is what guys like and do. This is what girls like and do. And, um, you know, I mean, you don't typically see, um, you know, a play changing table or a play stroller on the boys' aisle, but you do on the girls' aisle. And the same context, though, you don't typically see, um, you know, toy guns on the girls' aisle, but you find them on the boys' aisle. Um, And it sort of goes back to that same old hunter gatherer mindset. Um, And, you know, really uh, in scripture, there's, Um, while there are gender roles and gender constructs, um, there's no, I don't know, there's no deletion of value based on the gender that is revealed, right? So so no matter whether you're male or female in scripture, there is value placed on the different roles that you have. And some of our roles that we have today are not scriptural and aren't even supported Mm -hmm. in scripture. Um, right. I think of Proverbs 31, uh, everybody's always like, you know, hey, the Proverbs 31 woman, uh, one of the verses in Proverbs 31 says that the, the woman puts prey on the table and prey, B-P-R-E-Y, P-R-E-Y, prey mm-hmm. as in like yep. uh, meat, food, right? She's contributing right. to uh, the, um, the sustenance of the family. And um, it even talks about her selling her cloths in the marketplace and things of that nature. So some of the sort of traditional, you know, American values where the woman's behind, you know, at the house, you know, in the kitchen and the man goes off to work, those aren't even scriptural, um, you know, gender roles. Those are just uh, post-World War II. um, You could actually afford to not have both people in the family working, um, you know, traditions in America.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good point. In Proverbs 31, like you were saying, the, the woman is seen as an industrious woman contributing to the family, not just as a, a kind of a servant or somebody cleaning up the house, uh, but she's, she's financially contributing as she's selling her wares. Right. And she's contributing to the table. I think that's a big piece that is quickly overlooked when we're reading through the Bible, and I think you know, th- there's a number of different verses that you can look at that that would kind of favor, uh, you know, like this kind of masculine view of the world where, um, you know, kind of men, the man's the the ruler and the woman is this kind of subservient. I think you know one of the the big things is when Paul says in Ephesians 5:22 he says wives submit to your husbands and we forget the context that literally just one verse before in verse 21 he says submit one to another.
0: <laughs> right. And,
1: and so then the context would tell you how the wife should submit in verse 22. And then he's going to a couple of verses later, he's going to further explain how the, the husband submits as giving his life for the wife as the as uh, Christ gives his life for the church. And so, you know, I, I think how we're reading these things is very, very important. Um, another thing is to understand, you know, kind of going back to uh, hermeneutics, which is, uh, you know, a proper understanding of the Bible, how to interpret it. A lot of these letters that Paul wrote Uh, Was is what we would call task theology, right? He Mm -hmm. was writing a letter to a people with tasks in mind, right? So he's addressing certain things that were popping up in the church. And so the, you know, we kind of go back to that concept of the Bible was written for us, but not to us right uh so we we get the benefit of these letters but we're rummaging through ancient letters that were written from one person to another and so so some of these you know we we have to understand the full context of what these letters were written about um and so that that's where people will say uh, never read a bible verse right yeah which i love that phrase but the, the the idea is read the read the full context right don't just take one verse out of context and then um So I think that that's kind of when you read it in context, you're starting to see that that it's Paul isn't just saying, women, you're the submissive servant. He's saying we submit one to another, Um, much like in, you know, in in First Corinthians, where uh, Paul is saying, hey, women, you need to. uh, Uh, wear head coverings and be quiet and this and that but in the full context of first corinthians he actually tells women that they need to be praying and prophesying in the church Mm -hmm. but there are social customs uh that you that you should be you know adhering to while you're praying while you're prophesying while you're doing these things and why because it's going to be disruptive right like if Mm -hmm. i walk into my church and i have a mohawk uh, which I've had a Mohawk for many years in my life, not right now. But if I walked in with a Mohawk, my little old country church is going to freak out. And, and so it's not that a Mohawk is evil or sinful. It's that it's going to be disruptive. And so I think mm-hmm. understanding that, that piece of the puzzle, I, I don't, the way I interpret the Bible, I don't think Paul is saying, women, you need to keep silent and you need to shut up because you have no value. I think he's saying, you know, we need to be careful not to cause disruptions and distractions in the church
0: right yeah and uh you know i think you could even go so far as to say that um you know whenever we look at different scriptural passages like things that paul says Mm -hmm. um there's also specific things those cultures are dealing with yeah Uh, so you know in the head coverings issue uh you know we have um we have temples in corinth where women are not wearing head coverings or even shaving their heads mm-hmm. and, um, there's prostitution involved in those temples. And Paul's saying, don't be like these people over here. Yeah. Don't think make, don't make people think what's going on in these temples is going on in our places of worship. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there's really a, a lot more to it than just, um, you know, Hey, here's some fun rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it's important to recognize that, um, You know, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus went against a lot of current traditions and Jewish cultural norms regarding gender roles. For example, he spoke to women in public. Uh, He had women as close friends and taught them and equipped them to evangelize. Even in the passage where he sends out the 70, he sends out women with the 70. Mm -hmm. Um, He also had women to be the first ones to testify of his resurrection, appearing to them first after he rose from the dead. Uh, which is interesting because in jewish culture a woman's testimony wasn't even valid in court right. and um you know he affirmed uh the woman who was bleeding who touched his robe in public and um uh you know he, she was in public she was unclean which was a jewish uh no-no if you will mm-hmm. and uh, he he had compassion on her and he helped her um he allowed Mary Magdalene to sit and talk with him instead of serving in the home with her sister and said, you know, yeah, it's okay for her to learn with me. Even Paul later in the new Testament says in Timothy um, that the, the women are allowed to learn in the church, uh, which is important because in Jewish society, women didn't go to school. Right. And so you have quite a bit of importance placed on uh, on women in scripture, Um, you also have Jesus placing importance on children in scripture, which was not only unheard of in the Jewish culture, but it was unheard of, and it was just unheard of in Mm. the ancient world. You know, if you look at ancient biographies, they always start when someone is an adult, you know, Mm. and uh, the fact that Jesus's um, gospel, the gospels in Jesus have his birth narrative in them is pretty interesting in and of itself, just because, Uh, The ancient worldview was that if you're a kid, you haven't done anything of importance worth noting. And so, you know, until you're an adult, nothing you do really matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus says, you've got to have faith like kids have faith. If you want to to really understand the kingdom of God. In the Old Testament, you know, we have a number of issues as well, situations and stories as well, where women play big roles. Uh, You mentioned a minute ago, Paul telling women to prophesy in the church. Uh, You know, Moses' sister Miriam was a prophetess Mm -hmm. and she prophesied and she was given a lot of responsibilities over the people of Israel. And um, so it's very clear when you look at scripture on the whole, the context of scripture on the whole, that um, while there are gender roles, um, there's no devaluing of people because of those roles or rather no one's relegated down to a certain role because they're not good enough to, you know, do this other thing over here.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, all, all great pieces. I think when you look at the trajectory of where the Bible is going, instead of cherry picking one verse over another, what you mm-hmm. see is that God is, is giving certain, uh, um, uh, gifts and blessings to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, both men and women so you see that some women are called to be judges and and prophet you know prophetess and deacon right there's a deaconess um and some men are called to be that uh, a prophet a deacon a a, a teacher um and so I, i don't see any place where it says specifically that that uh some gifts are only given to men instead of women Mm -hmm. Um, And then furthermore, you get a great example of in in Romans, where Paul says at the very end that Phoebe uh, is a co-worker with Paul, Mm -hmm. most likely in context, she was also a a co-writer of Romans with Paul, Uh, Paul wrote all of his letters, along with a cohort of other uh, people. Um, mm-hmm. And she would have been there with him when he was writing it. He would she would have understood the context. She probably would have assisted in writing. And she most likely would have been the person who would have preached that letter to Rome. Uh, mm-hmm. He says that she was a church leader in Sincrea. Um, And so so you, you start to see that that women are, aren't this kind of, you know, subservient. They over there. Right. The more more kind of administrative piece. Uh, they're actually co-workers. They are partners in ministry. Um, and it's not that one gender is better than another. Although, I mean, I, obviously I could not have carried our children, right? My wife had to do right. that. So there, there are things that women do, you know, quote unquote, better than men or, or are geared towards. Um, but I think we complement each other. It's not that one's better than another, and and I'm not sure I see where one position is reserved, or or gift is reserved for for one gender over the other. Yeah, um, yeah, especially when you read uh, the Bible in the trajectory that it was written in, right? I mean, it was written right. within a patriarchal culture, male-dominated society and you have multiple people who are going outside of those those uh, social norms uh, giving women more value in the jewish society a woman um was essentially viewed as a as a as cattle right like she was something yeah. that you would own uh, the the difference between cattle and a woman would be in ancient jewish society would be once a cattle stops giving you more cattle you can kill it and eat it whereas yeah. a woman you know she she can't and yeah. and so, uh you know when you see the the apostles you see jesus uh, even in the old testament women getting these kind of uh, more valuable positions you start to see that that actually god is breaking outside of social norms in, in order to give women value give them title give them positions of authority um and in that trajectory, I think we need to be doing the same in our society, in our churches, in our families. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I've said before, you know, there shouldn't really be a committee at your church that doesn't have, you know, yep. uh, a female voice on it just because you need multiple perspectives to make the best decisions. Yeah, and, um, yeah, definitely, you know, in the ancient world, you mentioned, you know, the idea of property, you know, men could divorce women women weren't allowed to divorce men. Yeah. I mean, it was a one way street. You know, if he got tired of you, he could divorce you and put you out on the street, but, um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't do the same to the husband. And so, um, yeah. So scripture, I think is very clear. All people are created in God's image Mm -hmm. and scripture is very clear that all people are valuable and that while there are certain roles that are designed more for one gender over the other, uh, those are so that we as humans can complement one another uh, and not so that we can use roles to oppress or right. um, you know, punish one another, if you will. And uh, uh, that sort of leads me to our, our next sort of point of discussion here, which is uh, how do we deal with the issue of being created in God's image and gender roles when it comes to a society that now has a more fluid understanding of gender. And, uh, you know, I've heard pastors say, um, God doesn't make no junk. He made you just as he wants you to be. Right. Uh, And then I've heard the same pastor say, well, we're born in sin. (laughs) It's like, well, which is it? Uh, So, you know. um, That's a great point. uh, yeah. Psalm 139 and Job 31 and Jeremiah 1 and Isaiah 44 all teach that God creates people from the womb and in the womb. Uh, but Psalm 51 says that people are conceived in sin. Uh, I mentioned we all, we're all created in God's image and we all um, are valuable, but we're also all sinners. <laughs> Everybody's fallen. Yeah. And as a result, God's image in all of us is broken. And so... You know, if in fact God creates people just as they're supposed to be, uh, then how do you deal with, you know, issues like, uh, you know, someone born with a physical handicap or mental disabilities? Um, At the same time, uh, I mean, you could say, well, that's how God wants that person to be. Well, maybe or maybe that's how that person is because we live in a fallen world and things aren't as they should be, Um, but that doesn't make the person any less valuable doesn't make God love them any less, and doesn't mean we should treat them any differently. Um, in the same way, uh, you know, now there's a lot of studies that have come out that uh, suggest that some people are born with inclinations towards, say, same-sex attraction, um, and some, some are not, some are, um, and then uh, with regard to, say, transgenderism, Uh, you have some people who say, look, I've always, my whole life felt like I was born in the wrong body. I was put in the wrong body. Mm -hmm. And so if God made you just as you're supposed to be, either you're supposed to be your physical gender, or if you're conceived in sin and things aren't necessarily as they're supposed to be, maybe something between your incorporeal, non-physical self and your physical self are truly out of sync. And so uh, now, studies show that with like you know transgenderism and gender dysphoria, uh, it affects a very, very, very small amount of the right. population. Um, so um, I do think there's some legitimacy, obviously, to uh, uh, you know to it. I think that uh, there are people who very clearly um, have had that that gender struggle their entire life. Um, yeah. I don't think we should be allowing kids to opt for, you know, gender changes when they're 10 years old or things like that. Psychology, psychological studies all suggest that uh, for most kids, it's just, you know, questioning their gender as part of learning yeah. who they are. Yeah. And so you have to sort of wait till they're past all those stages to you know, go, OK, now we've got to figure out what's really going on. But yeah. but in those types of situations, the question is, you know, what do you do with with Uh, these inclinations or these uh, feelings of I'm stuck in the wrong body, if we're all created in God's image.
1: Yeah, I I think, um, you know, framing the question is so important. So first off, a disclaimer, I think the church uh, tends to discuss these things in kind of a a, a removed academic way, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, has benefits, but it can sound, uh, cold, harsh, uh, removed, uncaring. And so first yeah. off, I just want to say, um, you know, the church's role and responsibility is to be loving, uh, building rapport, building bridges in order to share the gospel in order to build those connections that God created us to have with, with our, our neighbors and so, first off, I just want to just say that you know anything that I say is not meant in in harshness or uh, you know critiquing. It's more of just trying to be look at the situation as a whole, right? Um, right. But I I, I think a, a big piece of this puzzle is um, it's understanding that that our worldview, our culture, has created uh, a context, a worldview which has which we've never really had before, um, mm-hmm. and that's a big piece of that puzzle. So when we're talking about these things, we need to understand that these are relatively new concepts, new ideas that we're throwing around. Um, but but, you know, one of the things that the, the Encyclopedia of Bioethics talks about um, uh, homosexuality and uh, these kind of issues that we're talking about, uh, and, and it says that uh, these are primarily feelings and secondary, secondarily behavior. So if you go to the Encyclopedia of Bioethics, they're gonna describe these issues of of feelings and behavior. Uh, They're not gonna be talking about identity. And I think Mm -hmm. it's very important that we uh, kind of ground ourselves in what we're talking about. We're not technically talking about how people are created. We're talking about what they're experiencing. There's a difference between something you experience, a feeling. Uh, something you do, a behavior and what you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so some people feel like they're fluid in gender. Some people feel like they're homosexual, but that doesn't mean that your uh, ontology o- ontologically uh, homosexual or gender fluid or, or, or what, you know, whatever you mm-hmm. are created, how you're created, but you're experiencing something in this world. You're having a feeling, an emotion, one way or another, and so I think that's really important that we kind of hone in on, on that on that piece. The other thing is that uh, science has has a lot of studies are showing that, like you were saying, you may have a proclivity towards uh, a homosexuality or or gender dysphoria, but you're not born gay. There's not a gay gene. There's not a gender fluidity gene. Right. right? The, these are these are things that people are experiencing, and so so much like. I experience happiness. I experience anger. Um, That doesn't mean I'm a happy person or an angry person, right? I'm not, it's not a set thing. So these, these experiences that we have are, um, you know, these are feelings you have. And that being said, honestly, I I thought about this last night preparing for this talk. I don't know what it feels like to feel like a man. I don't know. I, I know I am a man and I know that I have emotions that are, uh, uh, more masculine, sometimes more kind of protective, right. When, when my kids fall off the bike and I get scared, I want to protect them. Um, I know I have compassion, which is what that's supposed to be a motherly instinct, I guess. And so, uh, when my kids are hurting, i I cry with them. I hurt with them. Uh, I want to mother them and protect them. So d- does that mean that I am uh, that I have gender dysphoria no I think I'm experiencing these feelings uh, as a human does right mm-hmm. um, but I, I also recognize that my my gender who I am uh, how I identify is uh, is binary it, it, it is what it is right it's set uh, and that's how I believe the Bible explains uh, uh, a, a good biblical definition of, of uh, you know uh, men and women and gender fluidity I, I think this is right in line with how the bible explains it because god um who is always talked about as a masculine right uh, mm-hmm. also does have these kind of feminine qualities right he's a he's described as a mother uh, mothering uh israel right he's mm-hmm. talking about loving um israel as a mother does and all these other analogies so you know it just because you have these feelings doesn't mean that you are gender fluid, right? And I, right. I think just understanding that the the difference between feelings and identity is is such an important piece of this puzzle that we're not really articulating in our society when we're having these discussions. People will say, "Well, I feel this way." These are this is what I feel. Well, okay, okay, but just because you feel that way doesn't mean that your identity is any different than it was before, you know, yesterday, today, or tomorrow.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that um, it's important to also recognize that uh, in, in dealing with these non-physical aspects of, of who we are that, that deal with our feelings and our emotions, um, those can be somewhat unstable uh, mm-hmm. for all of us. You know, uh, we all experience um, uh, an instability there. And because of that, we also all experience both masculine and feminine things. And so uh, we need to make a distinction between male and masculine and female and feminine.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, You know, there are guys who love sports and that's a very masculine thing. There are girls who love sports and that's a very masculine thing. (laughs) There are guys who love theater and there are girls who love theater. And you might consider that to be a very feminine thing. Uh, But whether we like something that is masculine or feminine, or whether some of our own um, actions or responses or how we deal with process certain things are more masculine or feminine, it doesn't necessarily change our gender. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. change who we are. It's just simply that, um, you know, there's a fluidity to our emotions that allow yeah. us to, um, you know, sort of, you um, you know, jump onto both sides of the river, if you will, uh, as we yeah. experience different, uh, circumstances in life.
1: And the beauty of God's creation, right? The beauty of God's creation is that we get to experience the ups and downs of life, the ebbs and flows, the lefts and rights as the, the river of life, you know, pulls us mm-hmm. towards, you know, the end, we feel those changes. And that's, that's a good thing. I think, uh, that we have the ability to experience those things. But I think Mm -hmm. we also need to be prepared not to uh, make rash decisions based on our emotions, right? I always Mm -hmm. tell my students, you know, one of the scariest things that you hear is is, uh, that let your heart be your guide. And and I always tell them kind of in jest, but also very truthfully, if I let my heart be my guide, I'd be in jail. You know, I'd be punching people Mm -hmm. left and right. And I'm not like an overly aggressive person, but man, my, my emotions will get me, you know what I mean? Just getting cut Mm -hmm. off in traffic or whatever. So we need to understand when the emotion arises, what that is. And yes, it's a, it's a sign. It's a flag of something happening inside, but it's not who I am. And I don't necessarily need to act upon every emotion that I feel, everything that I experience. And the, the beauty of this is, sorry, as I start getting excited about this, uh, mm-hmm. Paul, when he's discussing homosexuality and, and these kind of behaviors outside of what Paul says is how God created us, uh, when Paul discusses these things uh, in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy one ten, when he's talking about these behaviors, he's not talking about Feelings, mm-hmm. right? Paul doesn't say he, he, if you have a feeling, then that's a bad thing. What he's talking about is the acts. What he's talking about is is being identified with something that is different than God's plan for you, how He created you. Uh, so, and a good Greek word study would be the the uh, and you. Scott, you're the Greek expert here, right? But the what, what is it, malakos and arsenic, uh, arsenocoites, right? Yeah. Uh, Arsenicoid, right? Um, these would be a, a, a good way to kind of dig into that. Um, but, he, you know, he's not, uh, a lot of people will try to say, well, he was talking about pedestry or sexual promiscuity. Um, I'm sure those were a part of it, but specifically what he's talking about is acts. That are outside of how God created you. Like he did not create you this way. And so those actions, the behaviors would be sin. He's not saying that the feelings, if you had, an, especially in your teen years, right, when your hormones are raging, you might have uh, a sexual feeling towards somebody of the same gender. That's not a sin, right? That's not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is acting upon that sin um, or a- acting upon that feeling would, would be an issue, especially if you started to identify that, uh, identify with that and move into a lifestyle. But also I-, I think any type of, uh, going against God's word doesn't mean that you're set for hell. I mean, I, I you know, as a believer, I believe in, in the eternal security of my soul and, and I sin every day. Uh, that doesn't mean that I'm going to hell. Um, now I know other Christians believe different things, but you know, my, my belief is that, you know, once I've been placed in the hand of God, I, nothing can take me from that. Nothing can separate me from, uh, that salvation. Um, and no sin that I act upon is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ, which has covered my sins. And so, um, but the, my focus should be upon living a life that's pleasing to him that's in accordance with his will um and so when i act upon these feelings that i have when i punch a a guy who cut me off in traffic um (laughs) you know that's where repentance is and where i need to kind of say hey where do i need to to fix this thing it doesn't mean that i'm going to hell because i did something that's apart from his will or from his design for my life
0: right and uh, yeah, you know, I, in fact, I saw a video the other day of Rick Warren saying, no, being a homosexual doesn't send you to hell. Mm. And, um, you know, he said, rejecting Christ is what sends you to hell, right, right. you know, um, and um, when, we, when we talk about all these kinds of issues, um, as Christians, we have a tendency to sort of elevate LGBTQ stuff. To sort of this higher level right. of sin, right, uh, and and that's that's a wrong thing for the church to do, right? Um, you know, I mean, if anything, honestly, in America, the sin that we should be focused on more than anything is probably gluttony. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe pathological lying. You know, uh, but yeah. other other American qualities that um, yeah. uh, just you know are, are very pervasive in our churches and in our society, and so. I, I,
1: I think another thing, you know, as you're talking about, uh, uh how Rick Warren was talking about, uh, uh, rejecting Christ, um, is what sends you to hell, not a specific sin, homosexuality or gluttony or whatever. Uh, the, the response that I always hear whenever I hear that is the, the biblical lists of these are the people that go to hell, right. And, right. and homosexuality is always in there, but what what the biblical authors are saying is those who are who are identified with sin right the right. sin of uh, you know whatever it is of gluttony of greed of 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 homosexuality of, you know people who are identified with those sins they're they're separated from the glory of god for eternity people who are identified with christ get to spend eternity in glory with god right like that that's, uh, eternal security is based upon, uh, being identified with Christ as being, it's based upon the, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross and the application of his redemptive work to that believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that those believers don't struggle with sin. Right. Yeah. And so just because somebody does bad things and, and still sins, doesn't mean that they're bound for hell, that, the sin that sends you there is the rejection of jesus christ and so when you see the biblical authors list out these things of saying these are the people who go to hell yeah they're defined by their sin because they're not defined by christ right their identity is not found in christ at that point their identity is found in sin and that's why they're going to hell that's why and i don't think once again i don't think we articulate that very well to a society and so people will be like oh well christians are these hate mongers and they're angry and and everybody goes to hell yeah it goes back
0: to what you said earlier of don't read a bible verse (laughs) right uh read the bible yes the bible does say these people you know these kinds of people are going to hell but in context what it's saying is exactly as you're saying people who are identified with this people who have their identity wrapped up in things outside of god's will and um Uh, You know, I think of David in the Old Testament. He's considered a man after God's own heart. Uh, But David, as a king, took multiple wives, which is something the law says not to do. And not only did he take multiple wives, but he committed adultery with a woman, then had her husband put on the front lines of battle (laughs) to be murdered, essentially, and um, then took this woman as an additional wife. Mm -hmm. And um, not only that, but it was this woman's second child with him, That became the next king of Israel. And um, what we see here is that David's a man after God's own heart, and he's a horribly flawed person, just like you and me. And, uh, you know, we're all flawed and we all have struggles. We all have sin issues in our lives. And that doesn't negate our salvation, it doesn't negate Mm -hmm. our love for the Lord. But because we love the Lord, we shouldn't feel proud of our sinful behavior, right? We should, right, we should right. say, Hey, look, uh, yes, I did this and it was wrong and I feel bad about it. Um, and you know, I'm gonna, I'm probably going to do it again because I'm a sinful person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you don't go, yes, I did it. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm going to keep doing it. Cause I like it. Like that's right. That's not right. the kind of behavior you should have at, you know, the attitude you should have as a Christian towards sinful behavior.
1: Right. I, I think another piece. I could go on this all day, but, uh, another piece that's really resting on my heart right now is that a lot of times we as Christians like to focus on quote unquote, what we should not do rather than what we should do when the focus is upon, you know, don't do sin instead of loving Christ. Uh, I, I think we're putting our focus in the wrong place, uh, mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I'm not going to go to somebody and say, here's the list of things that you need to stop doing in order for you to be a Christian. What I'm going to (laughs) say is here, here is, uh, here's the good news that Jesus died for you, um, that you have the opportunity to spend eternity with him in a perfected state. uh, If you accept that free gift of salvation that he gave you Uh, from that point, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to change your heart to work on your life in a way that Steve can't right because if i try right. to it, i'm just going to fail um that doesn't mean that we don't we don't teach what the bible teaches i mean you know we we need to teach morality but we kind of go into this moralistic gospel which is not in there you know what i'm saying and so right. when we start listing out all of the sins and and here's what you need to be doing i, I think what we're communicating to a world is that here's the expectations that you need to meet in order to quote unquote receive salvation?
0: Yeah, it's more of a it's more of an earn based system. Mm, you can earn your salvation yeah. if you do this. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible right. teaches you can't earn your salvation. Correct. Uh, that's yeah. why it's and a faith free is gift attributed
1: as right. Uh, f- faith is is what attributes righteousness, right? Even Abraham before Christ. Abraham, the same guy who is causing devastation as he's walking around the middle eastern world right or near eastern world because he's lying and and deceiving people uh yet Mm -hmm. his faith is what uh uh, a a righteousness was attributed as and in that similar fashion that's how we get the righteousness of christ is through faith
0: yeah
1: is what paul tells us anyways
0: exactly uh, yeah you know and if we have faith in Christ it says that God looks at us the father looks at us through the blood of Christ and as such he doesn't uh, he doesn't hold our sins against us in a way that mm-hmm. prevents us from being able to continue in a relationship with him because we put our faith in Christ yeah so, well Steve thanks so much for your time today and uh, for those of you listening thanks for listening we're going to continue on this study of uh, just different LGBTQ type issues. And um, I believe that in our next podcast, we're going to be talking about the history of homosexuality uh, and sort of how we got to where we are today, uh, based on how the world understood these concepts uh, for thousands of years. So uh, we will see you again next time on the Faith and Culture Now podcast.